You ever try to like warm up your voice before we do this, Alex? Like the lizard lapped at the water that licked its lips. Not, not a great one. Would you ever try to warm the, up your voice? The big bear bowled a big game in Baton Rouge. He thrust his fist against the post and still insists he sees the ghost. Okay, guys. Okay, that's enough. This is Cal, and I'm calling the huddle. So, welcome to Third Down and Punting. Today begins our first episode in a series of episodes where we are going to cover one of the somewhat forgotten teams of the late 1970s, the Love You Blue Houston Oilers. The Love You Blue Houston Oilers were it was a series of years from about 1978 to 1980 where one of the arguably one of the most exciting teams in the NFL, and I mean, more exciting than the Cowboys, more exciting than the Steelers, just more interesting than all of them was the Houston Oilers. And we're going to dive into over the next over the next handful of episodes of why are they not up there in the upper echelon with those teams of the 70s. And of course, we got to begin at the beginning. So today we're going to cover the 1978 Houston Oilers. So now do we want to go ahead and introduce ourselves? Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's do this round table. We all introduce our own selves and just say something about ourselves. I'm Thomas. I am one of the co-hosts and I will be saying um and uh a lot. You won't hear all of them. Well, I'm going to edit a ton of them out. But that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> my name's Alex, and um, I've been waiting for this moment all my life just to spew sports knowledge and have nobody tell me I can't do that. Have nobody tell me, Alex, this is not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my name's Cal. I'm just a special guest. I'll be throwing in a few pointers here and there because I didn't even know what we were talking about until yesterday. These two didn't fill me in, and I worked last night, so no prior knowledge. <laughs> Cal- Cal's an essential worker. Essential. Absolutely essential. A real essential worker, not like me. Or me. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's dive in. So so to set the stage for what we're talking about right now is we're talking about the 1970s the NFL. This is an era when the teams that dominated the landscape of the National Football League were teams like the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Oakland Raiders, the Miami Dolphins. Each one of these teams had a had a very big personality to match their team. The Raiders were almost like the villains of the NFL. The Steelers were they were the everyman's team. They were the working man's team. And the Cowboys were seen as almost as the class of the NFL. They were America's team. On the almost the second tier of NFL teams, as we see towards the last couple of years of the 1970s, another team emerges almost almost out of nowhere. Um, I believe one of the one of the best quotes that I heard about them was that the team, the Houston Oilers, for most of the 1970s, were mostly seen as a as a stepping stone and a laughing stock for the rest of the NFL. They were a team that if you saw, if you had the Houston Oilers on your on your schedule, that was that was your warm up game. That was your Alabama versus hmm. North Texas A and I, you know, Institute of Technology oh, game. Good call. Good call. <laughs> like in the college football video games, they had the FCS teams. Yeah, they aren't, aren't the real teams. Yeah, it's it was just like, like the, a D minus on all. Yeah, fronts. it was like the FCS like all star team. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't play that game. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we begin and why don't we talk about the history of the Houston Oilers? Which this is something that Thomas has actually done research for himself for. The Houston Oilers were one of the charter members of the AFL. And oh, actually, yeah, that, that, okay, yeah. Yeah, if you want to so, go ahead and get into that. Uh, it, it, this is where it gets fascinating because I want to do an entire episode on just Lamar Hunt by himself uh, and then even just covering the AFL uh, on its own too because it is, it's fascinating how petty the NFL can be at all stages even without, um, you know, what's going on today. You know, just being slow to make changes, slow to make safety changes or anything. How petty they can be is absolutely ridiculous. Lamar Hunt in the 60s, he, he's a rich kid uh, under an like, old, old tycoon father. He grows up, he, he's into sports, he loves sports. He tries to buy one of the teams in the NFL. They won't sell him one. He says, okay, can I just can we form a new team? Takes his needs a team. The NFL refuses. They say, we've already got enough teams. We're not making any more teams. That's the end of it. They shut him down. So he gets with people, a couple other you know millionaires, who also wanted to buy teams but weren't allowed to buy teams. And he has them invest their money for actually, uh, con- I mean, compared to a very small amount of capital, to start uh, their own division, the AFL. So he starts his team. He calls them the Texans. You have, uh, and they were the uh, Dallas Texans, and then you have the Houston Oilers. Texas is literally so big, kind of like California, you can have multiple teams in there. And it's absolutely And Texas is so big, you can have so many teams. You have the Dallas Cowboys, who were created in 1960. The same year the AFL starts, 
And the NFL starts the Dallas Cowboys, even though they said, no, 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 we don't, we don't need any more new teams. This new this new branch of football pops up, and all of a sudden the NFL throws up all these other football teams mm. in these like neighboring states. And, uh, and, and so what happens is Lamar Hunt then takes the, the Dallas Texans, and he moves them to Kansas City. That, and now yeah. what the two teams that are left in Texas are now the Houston Oilers and the Dallas Cowboys. And the differences between the two teams are largely – like they're largely similar to the differences between the two cities. Dallas is the more modern city. Houston's the more small business, you know, small time workers. And I, I would say the easiest way to, to describe it is Dallas is the city filled with the oil tycoons and Houston is filled with the city is the city filled with the people that work on the pipelines. What was uh the book Socius? What was that from? Uh they had the movie, you had Dally. Oh, you had um. You're saying things I have I've never. It was from before. middle school. Do you remember that book, Cal Dally? You had oh. I was in Abbeville County. We oh didn't have man, books. that's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll figure it out later. Yeah, we weren't homeschooled, Thomas. Uh, yeah, y'all. No, I wasn't either. Oh, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but uh, to, to your point, to me. that we will have to do uh, just episodes on its own for the competition between the Cowboys and the Texans and why they were run out. And it's really funny just how petty they could be between themselves between those two teams. With like these like little commercials they would release, it's almost like a presidential election. A, a little bit where it's like <laughs> before before twenty sixteen, where it's like these like backhanded compliments, not where you got someone coming in body slamming. <laughs> uh, but the uh, Houston, a good way to describe it is Houston was such like a blue collar town, such a worker town. Houston's five years out from Dean Coral, the uh, serial killer. He he, Dean Coral was located in Houston in 1973. I forgot about that. And he was able to get away with multiple murders because it was so blue. It was so blue collar. So so many people below the poverty line that cops would you know it's the whole thing of the less dead. And he was able to get away with stuff. That's like it's the it's the heart and the working class of Texas. It really is that that part where you know you can be an unknown there, and 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 you wouldn't have those problems. What's really funny is, uh, now that you bring that up, once the late 70s come around, um, and I'm assuming this is after Dean Coral, because his kind of run, I don't want to say run, that's not a good, that's not a good word for it. It's fine. (laughs) Daniel, my brother, literally wants to uh, get a car and paint it, uh, he wants to get a 1970-something, paint it coral pink and call it the Coral Comet and roll to him like, it's a real kid slayer. Ooh, that's not yeah, that, that's inappropriate. That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the but Houston becomes in the eyes of a lot of people in Dallas as just a crime town. It's just it's just not a classy town. So anyway, the history of the Houston Oilers, um, they were very successful in their times of the AFL. But with a lot of teams in the AFL, once they merged with the NFL, some of the inadequacies of these AFL teams really came to light, and a lot of them became really bad. Um, and the kind of the fortunes of the Houston Oilers really start to they really start to change in the mid 1970s and they really change in 1975 after Sid Gilman is ousted as the head coach and in comes a man named Bum Phillips. So if we want to jump into that real quick, the Sid Gilman, it's very, it's very interesting how that, how that went down. And Sid Gilman, we're not going to touch on a lot this episode, which is unfortunate, but he is someone, he, he's a lot like uh, on the last episode we described, you know, he's someone who has had a major effect on NFL in general uh, I, I saw a picture where they actually listed out his, uh, basically what they would call his family tree of coaches, the people who have worked under him, and he's he's helped uh, promote them to head coaches. Uh, spans out like a family tree. On that family tree, you have Joe Gibbs of the '91 uh, Washington Redskins, an episode we that is lost to time and we cannot uh, post and no one knows about. But we covered them on our very first episode. But you have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and then he also he also helped bring up uh, Andy Reid. Uh, like three or four generations down, people who he worked with worked with Andy Reid and helped create the Chiefs, which, you know, big year for the Chiefs. 2019 was a big year. But we don't got to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Sid Gilman, he, he absolutely deserves an episode all to himself. But between him and Bum, Bum, three years previous, I believe, had come onto the team as his defensive coordinator. And basically, Sid Gilman was a guy who would take charge of every single little interaction. He would he would come on to practices and take over as head coach and basically just tell the head coach, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, go away, get away from me. And he would he would just usurp power like crazy. During like team meetings he would burst in and just start talking and giving out orders and just shutting the dude down. Yeah. Sid Gilman was a very he was a very iron fisted head coach and um what we're gonna see is that this is the exact opposite of the way that Bum Phillips 
ends up running the team. Yeah, and what I, I think the funniest story was right before Bum Phillips, uh, the head coach was Bill Peterson, and he walks into the locker room one day before he quits and says, uh, and calls the entire team to you know listen up and says you know. <sighs> Sid is going to be taking over operations for the offensive line. That's all he said. He walked into a corner, got into the fetal position, and the next day he quit. <laughs> so so basically, and we're going to have to go into more detail on this in another episode, but basically, you know, the general manager or the, the president, I'm not sure who it was, but he was given a choice. It was like, you, Sid Gilman or Bum Phillips? He chooses Bum, and he could not have made a better choice because Bum Phillips not only is an exception, like, I, I after doing all the research for this, I would put him in the top 10 head coaches of all time. I, I think he's that good, but he also Houston finally gets their their head coach. It is a it is they now have their their person the like they, they now have the face of the franchise. So Bum Phillips was born um, in 1923 in a 21 square mile city in Texas known as Orange. It was just it was just called Orange. 21 square miles. Yeah, that's that's, almost, that's almost 22 hey, square miles. Hey, yeah, I mean, bigger than Abbeville. But, uh, hey, yeah, not hard <laughs> so, to do. So he plays high school football at Lamar University in Texas, enlists in the Army after Pearl Harbor, then completed his degree at Stephen F. Austin in Texas. Now, yeah, well, then now, proceeds to coach at at least five different Texas high schools and colleges. So their head coach now, going into 1975, is just. For all intents and purposes, you know, LeBron always says, like, I'm just a kid from Akron. They have as their head coach, it's just a kid from Texas. And to go even deeper is that you have to have the look to it based on, and not only just the personality and where you grew up, every single game that Bum Phillips coached, he wore cowboy boots, uh, acid wash jeans, uh, a plaid button-down shirt, and if it was cold, he would have this big, like, dark brown kind of like almost leather looking jacket and his he had big coke bottle glasses a buzz cut always had a pinch of dip in and to knock to top it all off he had his trademark stetson cowboy hat which he would never wear during home games because the houston oilers played in the houston astrodome which was the first indoor stadium and his mom taught him you never wear a hat indoors now that is a Texas gentleman. Yes. That that is So awesome. I mean, so we really see this. So this is the turning point for it. This and it also it also um really um is a it really is a lot different from what the other head coaches. If you look across, you know, across the line to the NFC, if you look at Tom Landry, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he is very he's kind of very quiet, very just straight line, very um he wears a three-piece suit and a fedora to every single Cowboys game. And now Dallas was like the wealthy city, right? That's where all the yes. bankers hang out, like everybody. So, I mean, even if you want to look at the head coaches, right now at the head coaches, you see how the coaches almost reflect the fans themselves, or at least what people perceive to be the citizens of these respective cities. If you just looked at it, if I showed somebody a picture of Bum Phillips and Tom Landry, they would say, oh yeah, Bum Phillips probably works for Tom Landry. Hmm. So to add on to um, just his personality and the the type of guy he was, he's not a pushover in any way whatsoever. He had to deal with a lot of big personalities. Earl Campbell, who we're about to get into, is is compared is he even says he had a very big personality, a lot of ego. And, and Earl Campbell went out of his way to even give a comment: anyone who's playing football who doesn't have a big ego doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earl, but uh, Boom is the kind of guy. What adds to his personality is the fact that when he joined after the attack on Pearl Harbor, he's in the middle of college, he's still trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life, goes into the military, doesn't just join the military, joins the Marines. He's at a point in time that's perfect for him because he is uh, he's brought into what I, is the coolest thing I've ever read about, didn't really know about it. The Marines started, even though they're the best of the best, they started a division within themselves called the Raiders, which was supposed to be an offshoot of the British's commandos. The Raiders were supposed to take the best of the best of the best of the Marines and put them into an elite squad who were to carry out missions from behind enemy lines. Bum is one of those Raiders. This this squad only lasted uh, until 1944 at the end of the war, and the Marines literally said, it's redundant to have a squad of the best of the best when our division is the best of the best. We cannot do this. But that is absolutely cool. So that that's he, also a good point because then you're getting out on – to add on top of everything, he's also, he's also, it's like, if he says, if we say he has a military history, he wasn't working in the chow hall. You know what I mean? He was, he was a, he was an elite group. 
Um, and one of the things that kind of sets Bum Phillips apart from a lot of other coaches in the league is that his relationship with his players and the kind of head coach he was, it's a lot more akin to that very Hollywood head co- uh, high school head coach and players kind of relationship. He was known, he never yelled at practice, and he would like throw barbecues at his house. He would let players, they would come and hang out with him at his house. He would, I, one of my favorite stories I read was there was a rookie in, I think this was 1976, who said, he was like, bum, you know, I've got a, um, he's like, I have to, I have to leave. I have to drive. I have to somehow get 70 miles south of Houston. I've got like a family emergency. Bum Phillips excused him from practice and then threw him his keys and said, and, you know, basically was like, here, take my car, just bring it back with a full tank. <laughs> um, and I think the best, the best quote I heard about this was, I'm trying to see if I can find it, is that, um, basically that. Players didn't respect him out of fear. They loved him out of loyalty, which we're going to get into some of his weaknesses and stuff as a head coach much later on. But that is the essence of of Bum Phillips is that he is an excellent motivator and an excellent team builder. But so now the Houston Oilers, they now have their head coach and his first couple of years as the head coach. They're definitely a lot better. There's definitely a lot more camaraderie and there's definitely a much bigger upswing in um, team chemistry, team morale, and just team success. But every good team needs a star player, and that's where we get to the 1978 NFL draft. So real quick, if we want to touch on just how much he improved the team, it was they they absolutely were a laughing stock. They, I mean, they were on an absolute losing streak before Sid before Sid Gilman gets there. Sid Gilman gets there, they actually go like a mediocre season. I think it's like. Uh, uh, at the time, would seven five be wrong? Maybe I, I maybe I was wrong. How many games were we playing in the regular season? This was point? this was twelve. It goes from okay. twelve to fourteen, and then uh, sixteen. So seven five, right? That would, that would be right. Seven so five. They, so so games Sid easy. Gilman there, they have two years with, with like a seven five mediocre uh, average season. When uh, Bum gets there, they go to like a nine three, almost something like that, where it's a it's actually a, a winning season. It's actually really useful. That. And basically what causes Sid Gilman to leave is that uh, Bum gets that kind of clout. He gets that status where he's turned the team around. When Sid Gilman leaves uh, the state one time, Bud, uh, Bum heads... I keep wanting to say Bud every single time. It's slow Bud, Bud, Bud would be an appropriate name too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But Bum goes to the owner and says, there's a clause in my contract that says I cannot, I cannot make final decisions on draft picks, uh, trades, and things of that nature. If we take that out, then I can I can turn this team into a Super Bowl championship. I can turn this team into a Super Bowl team. They take it out of his contract. Sid Gilman gets back, finds that out, and, and basically demands me or Bum. They choose Bum. They made the right choice. They they did make the right choice, but that's a lot of power for one man to wield. And it ends up again like towards the end of the episode, we're gonna have like a big discussion at the end of it, like a big wrap up of the series of like why do you think they ended up where they did? What could have been done differently? But um, so yeah, like as Thomas said, they have a coach now that not only does the organization have complete faith in, but also the players and also the community surrounding it. But every team needs their superstar. Heading into the 1978 NFL draft, there was one player who was by far and away the best player in the draft. His name was Earl Campbell, another Texas boy. He was born and raised in Texas, went to the University of Texas, and he has maybe one of the five best nicknames in the history of the NFL. He was born in, um, I believe it was a town or a city called Tyler. His nickname was the Tyler Rose. This is where me and you disagree. What? I, you don't I like don't that? Love it. That's I, awesome. I, Whatever. I, I think Earl's a fine name, and any mother who names their child that expects him to grow up to be big. <laughs> That's oh, a big oh we have not. Oh, my. If you guys ever want to. Here's the one thing. When people talk about Earl Campbell. There's almost an inclination for every single person to just like offhandedly mention how large his thighs are. <laughs> it's very strange, but it's also it's it's almost where it's not strange to just mention another man's thighs. But this man was absolutely gigantic coming out of college. So he was 5'11", um, 244 pounds, 36 inch thighs, and he ran a 4640 yard dash. So to put 36 inch thighs. Yeah. So, so there was a team within the team. <laughs> It was a team within the team to help him get his pants Earl, on. Earl, yeah. Earl, Earl Campbell was the running back and the offensive line. <laughs> to put that into perspective, his measurements, Earl Campbell um, was 5'11", 244. That's um, roughly the same size as Ray Lewis. 
but he ran a 4-6 40-yard dash, which is the same 40-yard dash as DeAndre Hopkins and Antonio Brown. Wow. So he's got as much meat on him as Ray Lewis, but he's running as fast as DeAndre Hopkins. That, I mean, that, that's absolutely insane. Oh, keep going. Talk to me, Alex. <laughs> so leading up into the draft, the first-round pick was held by the, the, the perennial losers of the NFL, other than the Houston Oilers at this point, which is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They held the first the first overall draft pick, and obviously going into this, the very first pick was going to be Earl Campbell. That was the general consensus. Like there's, he's a once-in-a-generation player. But the year before, the Buccaneers had already used their pick on a running back. So there's absolutely no point for them at this point to... to add another running back because they drafted a running back named Ricky Bell in the 1977 draft and gave him the richest contract for a rookie in NFL history. So if they go and draft Earl Campbell, what that means now is they've lost faith in Ricky Bell and they'd have to have two of players of at this point were seemingly they were, you know, a lot of people were saying like, well, they have the same career tra- trajectory. You don't need two of those on the same team. So then they're looking to shop the first pick and the Oilers come knocking and they end up trading four draft picks Two in the nineteen seventy eight draft and two in the nineteen seventy nine draft and a tight end named Jimmy um, Jimmy Giles, Giles or Giles, not sure, who ends up being a fairly competent tight end throughout his career for the Buccaneers for that first overall pick. And to nobody's surprise, they draft Earl Campbell. So now the Houston Oilers going into nineteen seventy eight, you got your coach in the cowboy hat and you got a big mean bowling ball for a running back who also comes from Texas. Thick. <laughs> no, okay, but you, you brought up the thick thighs thing. I'm sorry. We have uh, some small puppies who my wife is supposed to be graciously taken care of. They are at the door. I don't know if it's going to get recorded. They are at the door scratching and uh, whining for us to, to just be let in. So I got a little distracted, but I'm sorry. So that's why I said, um, and just told you to keep talking. What I wanted to talk about was, you say it's weird they always mention his thighs. I watched, and this, I really wanted Cal to watch the highlights of Earl Campbell. It's hard not to see his thighs. They yeah. are huge. This man is literally like almost a regular leg, tree trunks, and then a regular body. He still looks, he still looks big, but man, those thighs are huge. He is, he is, he is a massive yeah. human being. I'd, I'd say I've probably seen some still shots and stuff on NFL Network. You know, the NFL 100 thing they're doing right now. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely look at this oh, yeah. when I go home. Oh yeah, because okay. that's that's probably more than my waist. <laughs> so I mean, I'm like a 32 inch waist. I'm going to use that as a spot to cut it up. I'm going to give you a little page. I'll be right back. Don't All stop right. recording, Joseph. Joseph, what time are we at? Uh, oh. Okay, we're at 22. 22? Dude, we're doing good. That's not bad. <laughs> it's hard. They're fast. <laughs> Close the gate. <laughs> That's just the chicken. That's just the chicken. He said, he said you're an adult. They're dogs. Take the microphone to the hallway. Take the microphone to the hallway. Alex, don't you wish we could keep this in? Yes. (laughs) Hold on one second. So can I get a consensus consensus on this hat? No one said single compliment. Been wearing it all day. Your hat? I, I wanted to say it's actually an incredible hat. It is a very nice hat. I like, like it a lot. I liked it when I walked. They work with the D, uh, S, SCDNR? DNR SC? DNR? Yeah. yeah. SCDNR probably. All right. There we go. SCDNR. All right. Go ahead, and give, go ahead and give a clap and then I'll start. All right. What what where, what where point are you picking up with? Um, We're picking up with, it's good, we're going to pick up right with the beginning of training camp. I want to tell the story about... um. The three-quarter mile? Yes. Is that we're going to do our favorite bumisms Because yes. we know about Earl Campbell now. Yes. Now, do you have one prepared for Calvary? Yes. Cal, we're going to do impersonations of bum. I, I, I'm, you're going to go first, and I'm going to go for yours, and then you're going to do an impersonation of bum. Okay. Do you, do you want to do the wife one? Yeah, you do the wife one. I'm going to do, I'm going to say, and this is where, this is where. Yeah, you we started t- with the three-quarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll hit it with the. I like how you're doing it like this, like, eh. <laughs> Sorry, the mom just kind of stuck here. For ready? Three, two, one. Now we get into the regular season, and the first big event of the the Oilers off season here is like the very first day of training camp, and what really shows is the beginning of the relationship between um, Bum Phillips and Earl Campbell, and that's one of the things that makes this team so interesting is the relationships they have there, and Bum become really does become a father figure to Earl. But basically, on the very first day of camp, you know the Oilers had this. Um, 
tradition where they would have the players run a mile. They would like run a mile test. So Earl Campbell only runs three fourths of the mile and then he kind of collapses and stops. It's pretty big guy. Don't blame him. Um, and this is where we get to, uh, in this series, the first mention of the famous bumisms, which are this, these down home, just good old country boy Texas sayings that Bum Phillips always says. Bum is 100%. If you've ever seen the movie Tombstone, greatest movie ever made, there's not a single bad review out there about it, and no one can really critique it in any way. Bum is a lot like Doc Holliday and Wider, where they can say a lot with very few words. They That's can true. get the point across very quickly in a very almost smart, sarcastic, dry humor sort of way. And we've each found one of our favorite bumisms. Let's hit them. Now, this, and we're going to get into in the in the next episode for the 1979 season, the, which is objectively the greatest bumism, but here's my favorite. So right after Earl Campbell doesn't finish the, the mile, the media the media just kind of pounces, right? So, huh. Yeah. Huh. yeah. It's, I mean... It's it's the weird. Media it's like, pounces? Yeah. Now, I've heard of Republicans pouncing. <laughs> really? The media? Yeah, it's, huh. it's like you can't be a, a big tooth congresswoman these days and say dumb things all the time. Some huh. things never change. Well, we're not with this, with this kind of con- this this kind of talk. We're not making the top of iTunes charts. No. no. <laughs> so we're anyway, not getting five again, also not a political podcast. But we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so the media, like obviously the the they surround bomb right after that, and they're they're grilling him because you know this is your first overall pick. You basically mortgaged your future. For this player, so you're putting you know all of your chips on the table to say that he's going to be the future of the franchise, and they keep asking. They're like, "What are you going to do?" It's, he he can't even run a mile. And Bum Phillips says, "Well, hell, we just won't give him the ball if it's more than three quarters of a mile." <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite bumism, Thomas. What's yours? My favorite bumism is uh, towards the end of a I I, got, I don't know if it's an interview he did uh, after he's retired or if he's still coaching at that time. But a reporter asked him about, you know, they basically just kind of give it to him as, do you think Earl Campbell's in a class of his own? And he, like, kind of leans back, does that cowboy thing where he leans back a little bit. He looks up to the sky for just half a second and he goes, well, Earl may not be in a class by himself, but it don't take long to call the roll. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. it. All right, what what about, we we told you about a couple of them earlier, Cal. Which one's your favorite? Yeah, yeah, I I, I think the good one, um, I think the really good one that I heard was, why do you take your wife to all the away games? And his response was, well, you know, she's just too ugly to kiss goodbye. (laughs) Man, if that doesn't sum up my relationship with my wife, God, I love her. You guys, that was a no allusion to my wife. I love my wife. You you guys missed a great moment when these puppies tried to break into the, to our little makeshift studio here, and Thomas went out to uh, ask his wife what was going on. Like, why aren't you getting a hold of the puppies? And we just heard some murmuring, and then Thomas went, you're an adult and they're dogs. Figure it out. <laughs> How are they beating you? <laughs> so, so I mean, that's that's really uh, that's really a good, a good start to the season, like a good starting point to show this is a new-look team, and there's a, there's a very, like, very beautiful budding relationship between Bum Phillips and Earl Campbell. And as soon as the season starts, it becomes obvious that Bum Phillips definitely made the right choice in his first round pick. And Earl Campbell, like, immediately, right off the bat, this is one of the three or four best running backs in the league. First game of the season, they play um, uh, they play the Atlanta Falcons. The Oilers lost, unfortunately, but the Tyler Rose, still like it. I like Earl. Big right. boy name. All right, whatever. Actually, you know what Earl thinking about? It? It's, it's one of those names. Do I think it's a big boy name because I saw how big Earl was and I associated, I associated <laughs> Earl with big boy, kind of like how Moses, I believe, means man of God, but it's like when they named him that, did they know he was a man of God, or it's like, oh, Moses, he did, was a man of God. Did, did the did the chicken come before the egg, or did the earl come before the thighs? Did you, write <laughs> did you just write that? I'm a bit of a writer. Oh, okay. Well, that's so, not a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> so Earl Campbell runs for 137 yards on 14 carries. He averages almost 10 yards a carry. Dang. Um, Oilers quarterback Dan Pastorini, 19 of 36 for 136 yards and a touchdown. Second week, Pastorini only throws for 47 yards, and but the Oilers win thanks to 107 yards and two touchdowns from Earl Campbell. So six games into the season, Bum Phillips and Dan Pastorini, they basically just hop on Earl Campbell's back and they ride to a 3-3 three and three record. Um, Earl Campbell's rushing for about 101 yards a game through the first six weeks, which is incredibly important to kind of the, the team that Bum Phillips wants to that he wants to build you know the strategy is that let's just give the ball to Earl Campbell he's too big 
they can't he's too big he's too fast and um dan pastorini has this great quote later on where he says our offensive philosophy is basically says like our offensive philosophy is pretty simple I'll get to the huddle and I'll look at Earl and I say, "You tired?" And he and if he goes, "Yeah," then I'll say, "Well, I'll throw a few." Then <laughs> sounds oh. to me like a uh, modern day Tennessee Titans, where it's like Ryan Tannehill has to be just good enough, yeah, but to you pass know, a few balls, and then it's like, okay, Derrick Henry, here, here, here you go, bud. Here, yeah, here's but you, the ball. But you know, Ryan Tannehill, you got to sound. He's like, you need to throw a few, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's style. It, it, it's weird. You would think the exciting style of football is passing which is probably a reason they weren't America's team, like the Cowboys, if it's the reason they were Texas's team. Yes, um, that is a very good point you're bringing up. You think, you think it wouldn't be exciting, but when you watch the, the footage, he is a monster. He mows people down. You, you think, oh, they're just they're running the ball again. No, he is tearing people down. It's a, I think there's one clip where they literally tore the entire jersey off of right, his back. There's, there's a very famous clip of him playing against the Rams where he literally like he breaks through the hole. He kind of, kind of puts a shoulder into somebody lands awkwardly on his feet so he doesn't really have any good balance to cut or anything and he's got a guy right in front of him so earl campbell just puts his head down runs forward puts his head into this defender's chest lifts him off the ground throws him onto the ground and then three rams defenders grab onto his back and break his jersey and i mean that's the thing imagine how good this team could have been if they had a very good quarterback and we'll get into that more but you know you go into the game and the game plan simple like they're gonna hand it to earl campbell and you can't stop it. So I, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I mean, I mean, I got a couple notes here about how reckless he was. Just like, I mean, just just as running as goes, because I mean, hitting guys like that, it's not great. Uh, basically, I mean, that really is he was, at, he was reckless. Uh, Ron Johnson, uh, former running back, uh, whose career was cut short a lot, like uh, Earl Campbell's. He has a quote saying he runs with a lot of. Oh boy! Now I know why I was saying reckless so much. He runs with a lot of reckless abandon. <laughs> <laughs> You can run like that in college, but you can't do that for 10 years and hope to survive. Basically, a lot of people knew and were predicting he was going to get hurt, and they knew that was going to they knew it was going to destroy the team and just ruin the Oilers. It was just like a ticking time bomb. But when they asked Bum Phillips about it, Bum's quote was, I'm not going to change his style. Why would I? Earl does the same thing other running backs do, only better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this really shows you to where where Bum Phillips' strengths is, which is being able to get his team to buy into the philosophy. Because, you know, Earl Campbell's agreeing to, like, yeah, I will carry this offense. And obviously there has to be a love for football on top of it. But, but you know, it really is because I love Bum Phillips, and I'm going to do this because I want this team to succeed, and I want Bum Phillips to succeed. Anybody who plays sports, you know, if you love your coach, and if your coach loves you back, then you are so much it's a, so much higher of a chance that you're going to buy in, you're going to buy what he's selling. And there's no like ulterior motive for for what Bum Phillips is doing. He's he literally just looks at it and he says, "We've got the best football player on the planet. There's no reason that he should not be the focal point of our team." So, a little side note fun story to run back in time. Uh when Earl Campbell was in college, when he was playing uh, uh football in college, what did y'all know off the top of y'all said this is probably something y'all just wouldn't know. Maybe it is. The mascot whose name is Bebo. Do y'all know what school that is? University of Texas. Yeah. That's the oh, Longhorn. Okay. Yeah, oh, Longhorn. No. Okay. Huh. So, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were going to trip us up there. I thought so. But you I see, we're the we, we, all, we also watch college football. Yeah, so. yeah the, Cal, Cal is our, our is our residential college football fan. That is me. <laughs> that, that's what he brings to the table, and boy, does he bring it. Sometimes. But he's running the ball. He literally runs so hard and so fast and isn't paying attention. He runs through the touch, touchdown. And hits. Uh, they actually had a, an actual bull on the field by the by you know where he scored a touchdown. He runs into it, slams into the bull, and knocks it down. Whoa. And actually, like, hit, I mean that, that's pretty cool. But that, he just that's knocks insane. it down. There, there are interviews I think uh, where they're talking about like, like uh, oh he didn't just touch him. Where like you know older guys who played him were like oh he didn't just touch him. He knocked him on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and just to your point, just for what you were saying, um, they still do have Bevo on the field. Like they still do. It's like a thing at the University of Texas. They have a bunch of, I guess, quote unquote, cowboys and like chaps and hats, and they like come out and they have him lassoed and they like run with him through the field. And Man, it's, it's quite a thing to see. That would have been late sixties. How long yeah. did Steers live? No, like no, this, this would have been, would have been mid, this would have been mid seventies. Mid Oh, when he was in college. Yeah. yeah. That's right. It's, You're absolutely right. It, You're absolutely right. It's likely not the same one. It's probably like <laughs> a university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, yeah. you guys know Earl killed it when he ran into it. Oh, what? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, so 
They so found it. They found it two counties over. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say that in the, the proper voice. They found it two counties over, which in Texas is about 500 miles. <laughs> the sheriff goes, well, we found Bebo. Oh, wow. You found him? Most of them. <laughs> we found what was left of it. Looks like Earl got hungry. <laughs> so, so they're three and three, going in um, six games into the season, and it's obvious, like you know, this is a new type of Oilers team. They've got the best player on the planet, and going into week, I believe this was week seven, um, their first prime time game of the season, and. This is one thing about the classic NFL that they don't really do a good job of now, but when they schedule primetime games, which are Monday night, Thursday night games like that, or Sunday night games, they always scheduled the best teams. Now, for some reason, they always do it. For some reason, like the NFL now, when they schedule these primetime games, they're always awful teams. But they scheduled for this the Oilers' first Monday night game, Houston Oilers versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, at this point, the NFL only had three divisions per conference, so the Oilers... So the Oilers and the Steelers were in the same division. So they played each other twice a year. And the Steelers, they are the class of the NFL. It's pretty much like them and the Cowboys and then Raiders and the Dolphins, kind of. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself and start talking about something I really just don't know anything about. In the book you got me for Lamar Hunt, I'm pretty sure he had a big thing, a big uh, part in that for the Monday night games and holiday oh, games. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, because the Chiefs could not get any coverage whatsoever. And he was pounding his fist on that. A guy who really just has no personality whatsoever. He was really described as someone with no personality uh, who had such an influential part on NFL would get furious in board meetings and just start screaming about, we need to be on TV too. <laughs> <laughs> so going into the game, Oilers are 3-3, three and three, the Steelers are 7-0. and oh. The Steelers had made the playoffs the last six seasons and were already 2-0 and oh in, Super Bowl vict- in Super Bowl appearances in the 1970s. So... And also not to mention, the game was in Three Rivers Stadium. The Steelers, over the last three seasons, had been 18-3 and three playing in home games. They'd only been beaten three times in three years in their home stadium. That's insane. Whoa. The Oilers go ahead and they upset the Steelers. Um, Earl Campbell runs for 89 yards and three touchdowns. And this kind of, it's another step towards the Oilers not being the the like the like the ugly stepchild of Texas and not being the losers of the NFL. So this all leads ahead to probably the one of the five most important games in the history of this franchise. It is their week, I believe this is week nine or week ten Monday night appearance. The Monday night game in the Houston Astrodome against the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Now this, <laughs> so leading up to this game, the, and the, the personnel in the front office of the Oilers, they were, they were fantastic in the way that they set this up. They really wanted to drum up, they wanted something special for when the cameras turned on and this became a national game for, for something for everybody to remember. Now, have either of you seen what the Houston Oilers uniforms look like? I'm assuming you guys have. Honestly, they are fantastic uniforms. Yeah, yeah. That, so, that, uh, that, like, what is it, the oil rig? Like, yes, on the top big of the oil helmet, rig. That was kind of the, cool. The, like, light blue and white with, like, the red trim going around. Oh, yeah. Just Very classic. Classy. Going into the game... The Dolphins are 8-3, and three, and they're still one of the top teams in the NFL. Don Shula's still there. Bob Greasy's still there at quarterback. And just six seasons before, they did something that still hasn't been done, which is they went from the start of the season all the way to the Super Bowl without losing a game. The 1972 Dolphins went undefeated. So they're kind of at the end of their, of their reign, but they're still a really good team. Um, now, what ended up happening was the Oilers organization gave out a light blue and white pom-pom to, pom-pom to every fan who entered the stadium that night. So on the opening telecast of the game, you know, it opens up and it's got it's got Howard Cosell talking about, you know, giving the, all the pregame talk and all that stuff. And there's 68,000 fans in there, and you could say about 50,000 were. I think that's what the estimate was for how many of the fans there were. Oiler fans. So about, you know, it pans over to the crowd and all you see are 50,000 fans, all with light blue and white pom-poms, exact same color scheme as their uniforms, just shaking them. And that's that's all everybody remembers, that it looks like a sea of blue. And here's the reason that's what people remember. Up until this point, like cheers and chants like that and doing stuff like that was a very much a college thing. This was one of the first times it transitioned to an actual NFL, like big league game. It, it, so that's why it's a thing you remember on TV because this is one of the first times people had seen it done on such a massive scale. Really, I didn't, that's really interesting. I didn't so know that. It, yeah, it really is. It's it's one of the first times they've done that. Hmm. 
Alex, hit me with the rest of it. <laughs> so, and honestly, the scene's, like, just absolutely magical. So, everybody's, these light blue and white pom-poms. Bum Phillips's got the cowboy hat on, light blue jeans. He's got this absolutely fantastic-looking um, blue and, like, white button-down. Um, not wearing his hat, though, because he's indoors. But he's got that good old boy military-style haircut, big Coke bottle glasses, big old pinch of dip in, which we're going to get into this a little more later, but... Um, he and Earl Campbell, like, once Earl Campbell comes in the league, he starts dipping with with um, Bum Phillips, which is hilarious. Do I have a story for you? Let's <laughs> right back around to that. Stay on this. The game ends up being an NFL and NFL classic and a Monday night classic. On the first the first two plays of the game are Earl Campbell runs. The second one is really funny because there's a guy, there's a Dolphins, uh, I think it's a linebacker. He's six foot six and 240 pounds. Earl runs into him and launches the guy's helmet. <laughs> and just like, it's like 10 yards downfield. So the game's really back and forth. There was four lead changes by the fourth quarter, and by the fourth quarter, Earl Campbell scored his third rushing touchdown, and it made the game 28-23 in favor of Houston. So the Dolphins start driving the ball down the field, and a defensive back named Steve, Steve, I think it's, it's either Kenner or Kenyer. I'm going to say Kenyer. Kenyer sounds better. Okay. Okay. Feels like you could have looked it up. <laughs> week is what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so Steve Steve Kinnear picks the ball off, and now the Oilers have the ball on their own 19-yard line with roughly about two minutes left in the game. Now, at this point, you have to keep in mind, they've literally been riding Earl Campbell for the entire game. He's got, like, 20-plus carries. He's got to be exhausted. The whole defense is keying in on him. And all they have to do, if you guys watch NFL, if you get the ball back, you have the lead, and there's, like, two minutes left in the game, I mean, you have to run the ball to keep the clock running, and all you got to do is get a first down. That's usually what it is. Make the defense use their timeouts and just get a first down. So, you know, in Bum Phillips' mind, he's, you know, he's, we just got to run the ball. He asked Earl, Earl's like, yeah, I'm good. Let's run the ball. I think they run one play, and then they run a toss to Earl Campbell. All he had to do was get, like, three yards for a first down. Instead, what Earl Campbell does is he gets caught in the backfield, breaks one tackle, Turns up the field where there's basically it's Earl Campbell against the right sideline and five Dolphins players ahead and to the left of him, which is a great angle because they just have to, because they're going to collide. Basically, if they're running the same speed, those five players and Earl Campbell are going to collide. That's where their paths are taking them, but they're not running the same speed. And Earl Campbell turns up field and he runs 81 yards for a touchdown for his fourth touchdown of the game to pretty much seal it. And the whole stadium is so just incredibly loud that you can barely hear the Howard Cosell say, you know, this one's over. And that like <laughs> classic 1970s um, broadcaster voice. But I mean, and this game, I mean, after it's over, this game really does kind of launch Houston into the spotlight. And it really begins. This is the first time when they're kind of seen as, oh, the Cowboys might be America's team, but Houston, this is Texas's team. <laughs> <laughs> You know that chap, the Cowboys, so bad. Oh, they, God, yeah. I mean, you can't tell them they're not they're America's team. They're not Texas's team. They don't even own their own state. There, there were a lot of fights between brothers who were voting oh, right. for those two teams. You know, the younger brother's like, well, it's Texas's team. And, yeah. and the older brother's going, yeah, but it's like Cowboys, America's team. And it engulfs Texas, too. It's, it's, it's Texas plus all the others. And the, brother, like, the younger brother's like, but not Texas. You know, the, 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 the Cowboys fan is like, like, do you like Coke? And he's like, yeah, I like Coke. Well, Coke is soda. And he's like, huh, I don't drink soda. <laughs> so at the end of the game all the players all the and this really shows you like why they got to this point is that all the praise goes to one man bum phillips earl campbell says the display of blue was a chance for people of all races and backgrounds to come together as a city more than that it was a feeling that the players and fans shared without even talking they put that in like the newspaper article it's t-a-l-k-i-n apostrophe that good old dropping the g talking <laughs> and he says we owe it all to one man bum phillips we're going to talk about this, and we'll wrap this up, and then we'll cut it right off right before the playoffs. But you, um, people start to see kind of the team chemistry that Bum Phillips has built. Because one of the things we don't really talk about is all the other victories that they have. By the end of the season, the Oilers' victories, they are all, they're all by seven points or more. So, so let's get into that real quick. Do you think the reason for the, do you think the reason they have a breakout year, uh, this year especially, is because... Sid, Sid Gilman was big on the pass. He was big on passing plays. Uh, so much so that, um, say his name again? Not Pastorini. 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 Wouldn't have got it right on the second attempt either. Pastorini almost tortured on the field. He at, at Later on, we're going to get into how bad it really gets for him. But at one point, 
before, I believe before Old Campbell comes along, he was playing with a punctured lung. So they're big passers. Or Old Campbell comes along, and then all of a sudden this team is running the ball like crazy. Would you say this is a time period right now where you're not seeing a lot of scouting, a lot of watching footage? If you are watching footage from the season previous, you're not ready for Old Campbell. People are learning on yeah, the fly. Pe- pe- people, people are not ready for Earl Campbell coming into the season. People know how good he is, but it's also they can't stop it. I mean, lots of teams are running the ball now. This was The NFL was not really... Towards the end of the 70s, this is the transition from a running league to more of a passing league. It is absolutely nowhere near where we see it now, but the running backs are still like one of the most important positions. But the real reason, you know, why they get to this where they get to this point is Bum Phillips is a great we've already touched on a lot, but he's a great team builder and he's also a great like rec- he's a great developer of talent. Of I see this diamond in the rough and let me bring him to the team. And it really kind of blends well with the identity of Houston as kind of this cast-off city. I think some of the players that he ended up signing to the team, let's see if I can find this. Uh, he signed a fireman, a cement mixer, and an ice cream truck driver. Okay. Yeah. Diamonds in the rough. Yeah. I agree. So, you know, practices were laid back. Bum never yelled. He threw them pizza parties, invited them over for barbecues. And I love this. He taught them the best kind of discipline was self-discipline. Okay, so we're getting into this. This is where I actually wanted to bring this Earl Campbell story in. We're going to get into the father-son uh, relationship they developed mm-hmm. later on. But it got to the point where Earl Campbell, he is he is a country boy. He was raised in Texas. He loves country music. He, I mean, he adores it. He tells one story. Basically, he goes into an old man rant and says, he says, players these days, they got the headphones in. Back then, we're grown men having a pizza party. What were we doing having a pizza party? I don't know, but I used to have to carry a boombox with me. I would set it up on TV, and I'd crank up, I'd crank up the country, and you'd see her on the back going, turn it up. <laughs> and the situation I envision is he puts that boombox up, turns on country music, and you've got Earl with his boots propped up on the table, hat leaned a little bit over his eyes like he's about to take a nap. And the country music comes on, and, he, and his eyes kind of squeak open a little bit. And he goes, hey, Earl, hell yeah. Turn it up, play that song. And that's right, 1978, a young Montgomery Gentry is walking by, and that's when he de- and that's when he grabs his guitar and says, now there's something there. Hell yeah, turn it up. I sing that song. <laughs> <And> guitar <laughs> man play <laughs> I don't know no, what that is. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, so, I like that. I like so because this was '70s country. This was not this modern day like rock pop country we have now. This what, was, they call it they call it bro country or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was this was so real this was country. country. Real quick, 1978, one of the top songs on the charts. This is going to be is going to be full circle when we get like to that. part three. I think in part three is where we're going to hit the father son relationship, especially hard. Mm-hmm. The top uh, one of the top songs, 1978, Georgia on my mind. We'll get back to why that's important okay. in part three. But hold on to that, that that was playing when they developed their relationship. I like that song. That's going to be a tear. That, that, yeah. that was in the most recent uh, so, Masters commercial. Was it? Was it? Here comes oh, the you tears. know what? That's good. Here comes the tears. So <laughs> so to wrap up the season, the Oilers finish up the season at 11-5. and five. They're, uh, and what's, What's strange is to, is, to, is to point this out, and this really goes to um, this entire team is carried by Earl Campbell's running and Bum Phillips coaching. Because by the end, if you took the points that the Oilers scored – and, you know, divided that by 16. So their average, the average amount of points they scored per game and then did the same thing for their defense. So how many points opposing teams scored divided by 16. If you did took that, the average score of a Houston Oilers game would be Houston Oilers 17.7 points, opponents 18.7. So they go 11 and 5. They only lose five games. But on average per game, they scored less points than their opponents. And what that really shows is that this team is not good. This is a very mediocre team, but they have the best player in the NFL and they have a coach that is getting everybody to buy into this system. They're not the most talented team, but when it comes down to it, and this really shows that every single one of their wins are by seven points or less. So when it comes crunch time and the game is close and the game is on the line, Phillips is able to rally this team to play to the best of their ability. He's able to take all of these castoffs and all these mediocre players along with literally the greatest running back in professional football at that time other than Walter Payton and well Walter Payton's the greatest player of all time okay fine yes That's okay anyway pretty sure he has an award named after he does <laughs> and <laughs> awards named after a lot of people his is called the Walter Payton man of the year award <laughs> That's a pretty That's good long <laughs> <laughs> so he's able to you know bring this team together and they get into the playoffs and they really had no business being there they get the number 5 seed and the first seed is obviously 
the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they get the wild card seed. But the weird thing about the NFL at this time is how they did the... Oh, and actually, before we get into that, we didn't even mention this. Earl Campbell leads the NFL in rushing by the end of the year. He has 1,450 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns. So he wins Rookie of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, and what's weird is about the MVP at this point, there's only there's one media outlet, the Associated Press, and they pretty much pick the NFL MVP. They gave Earl Campbell the Offensive Player of the Award, but they didn't give him the MVP which they gave to another offensive player, which I don't understand it, but a bunch of other media outlets gave him the MVP award. So Earl Campbell's first season leads the league in rushing, rookie of the year, offensive player of the year, and then at least three media outlets name him the best player in the NFL. That's not bad. That's that's okay. It's okay. (laughs) So the weird (laughs) thing about the NFL at this point is the way that they set up the playoffs. Because there's only five teams in the playoffs for the wild card round, as opposed to having how it is now where the wild cards play some of the division winners, like right now, you know, there's six teams per conference in the playoffs. The six seed plays the, I believe it's the six seed plays the three seed and the four seed plays the five seed. And then, um, and then the winner of those play the first seed and the second seed because there's only five, for some reason, the way the NFL does it, instead of having two versus five, and four versus three, with the one seed getting a bye, they have the two wild card teams basically have a play-in game. So, at the end of 1978, the Houston Oilers officially clinched their first playoff spot, and they are playing Miami Dolphins. And that's where we'll stop today. And we will pick up next week with the Houston Oilers' first NFL playoff game, and it's a doozy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I mean, we're wrapping it up. Final thoughts from anybody? This, after doing all the research for this, th- this team, these next three years that we're going to cover, is some of the most interesting in NFL history. And it really is, and again, it is it is kind of a shame because they really are cult heroes at this point. And I'm glad that we all agreed to talk about this because, because most of the places that have, that dedicate like real in-depth research to this year of the Houston Oilers are like podcasts that are based out of Houston. So, yep. <laughs> yep. so people are like, yeah, remember when we when we skipped, you know, our, our, our cattle class and we went and saw the Oilers play? I don't know. Did they do that? I don't know. I, I'm not from there. I mean, I okay. think Houston's actually a pretty uh, well-rounded city these days. I think it's pretty close to being the these third days, largest yeah. in the United States. I mean, it's a pretty big city. States. Yeah. Well, United well, States. What do you got for us? It, yeah. <laughs> so for next week, I'll obviously have more time to do some research, and we will put in some more bumisms. And we'll, need them. And what we're gonna do now is we're gonna go out to the living room, and we're gonna show Cal some Earl Campbell highlights. Yeah, that wait. sounds pretty good. I'm gonna stick with the name Pastoroni because I've already forgotten how you do say it. His 79 and 80 season, absolutely crazy. He's gonna be a side character who's in the background. Who's he's not a great. He's not. Ta- he's not crazy talented, but he's good enough to play. And the, the things he does and the stories he have, wow. And I can't wait to and, tell a few of And he's, he's going to be the focal point of the Oilers' first playoff game. He really Fantastic. is. So, thanks again for listening, everybody. Y'all stay safe out there, and we'll see you next week. What's my line again? <laughs> All right. Break on three. One, two, three. Break. Right. We, 